Hey, good morning. Welcome to Fort Carolina Baptist Church. Thanks for welcoming uh, me and my family to Fort Carolina Baptist Church. We're really thankful to be here. Uh, thankful to see you all this morning. Um, it's been an adventurous trip, and we've had an adventurous morning as a family. I won't share too many details, uh, but it's been uh, fun getting from Charlotte, North Carolina to here uh, today or this weekend. We, we used what all of you guys use typically to navigate, right? We used our phone, and, and if you're like me, you use the Superior Navigation app, which is Waze. Um, some of you people are stuck on Google Maps and Apple Maps and Android Maps, and that's fine, but uh, Waze is a superior way to travel these days. Uh, and I was thinking about this idea of maps and kind of directions and that kind of stuff and reminded, uh, as we're thinking about our text today, uh, reminded about a time where I had a, a, an issue with a map, uh, a snafu uh, with a map. And so while, while I'm introducing this story, if you have your Bible, flip over to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. And, and by way of introduction, I was thinking about this, this story of maps and how this worked. When I was in high school, um, I was dumber than I am now, uh, which is how high school works. And my friends and I had this genius idea that we were going to go to the beach uh, the next day. This was on like a Friday uh, after Friday night. This is when we hatched this plan that we wanted to go to the beach. We were already planning to go to the beach, but we decided why wait until tomorrow morning to get up and go to the beach? Why don't we just go to the beach now and we'll just camp and that way when we wake up, we'll be at the beach. And so that was the plan in our 17-year-old idiot brains. And so that's what we decided to do. Uh, but we needed to put some stuff together. So we grabbed a tent out of the garage and you know, grabbed you know, a bag of chips or something and kind of threw it in, into the vehicle. And, uh, but we knew we needed a, a, a place to spend the night. We needed a camping spot. And so the best idea we could come, at this hour, come up with at this hour was to stay in the National Forest that's near St. George Island, which is the beach we were going to on the Panhandle. And so we thought, we'll stay in the National Forest that's not far from there. You can just kind of slide in and camp, and they have little camping designated areas in there. Uh, and you don't have to pay for it. That was a big priority for us as well. And so uh, I went home to my house from my friend's house, and I was in charge of, of getting the map. And in those days, we had this ancient thing. The young people in the room aren't going to know what I'm talking about. We had this ancient thing called MapQuest, okay? You guys remember MapQuest? Some of you others in the room are going, I remember Rand McNally. You guys, are, you guys aren't thinking about MapQuest at all. Uh, but MapQuest, before our phones could navigate for us, uh, we had to print out the map of where we were going from our home computer, and whoever was in the passenger seat, it was your job to make sure that you made it there with the MapQuest turn-by-turn directions. So I print off the MapQuest map, uh, but I also print off a map of the National Forest so I know once we get to it uh, where the, the camping area is. So we leave Tallahassee, which is my hometown, uh, at 11 p.m., which I still can't believe my parents let us do this, but we did it. We leave Tallahassee at 11 p.m. Uh, to drive uh, to the coast, and we, we make it there. I successfully, I'm in the passenger seat, successfully navigate us there with our uh, MapQuest maps. We get to the National Forest, and we're, and we're going, all right, Stuart, where's the camping area? And I'm like, right here. It's on this National Forest map I've got, and I'm holding it, and they're navigating. My buddy William's driving, and, and so we go, and I go, if you take a right right here, you'll see it. So he hangs a right right there, and there's nothing there. I was like, oh, let's back out. Maybe we missed the turn. So we come back, and we go, and this goes on and on and on, where we think we're making the right turn, and we're trying to get to this, uh, this campsite, and no matter what path we take, no matter how much we study the map or I study the map, we can't seem to get where we're going. And we start running out of gas. It's pushing like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning now. Like this is turning into the beginning of a horror movie, right? And so we're just, we're on the verge of being stuck in this national forest in the middle of the night with no idea where the camping area is. And tensions are a little high, uh, fair to say, right? And um, in just kind of a moment of desperation, uh, William, my, my buddy who was driving, he looked over at me and he goes, he goes, Stuart, is the map upside down? 
And I had this moment of just existential dread come over me and relief at the same time. Because in one instance, I realized, yes, the map is upside down. Uh, but at this, and that's really dumb and everybody's gonna be mad at me. But on the other hand, we're not gonna die out here tonight because if we turn the map right side up, we find our camping spot in five minutes, we throw our sleeping bag on the ground, we go to sleep and we're exhausted the next morning and it's not a very fun beach trip, but we were alive. All because this map was kind of flipped over. And this text we're looking at in Philippians chapter two this morning, it's a bit of a roadmap for life. It's a bit of a, a step by step by step directions for how to get where the Lord is calling us to go. Uh, but I think sometimes people get this map turned the wrong way and they never quite arrive at the destination thereafter. And so I'm gonna read the text this morning and I'm gonna pray for our time and then we'll jump into it together, okay? We're gonna be in Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse five and go through verse 11. The apostle Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that it provides a guide, a map, a plan for life, that you haven't left us aimless, but instead you've given us a step-by-step on how to follow you and how to navigate this life. Lord, would you speak to us this morning through your word? Would you encourage us with it, challenge us with it, and draw us to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points, if you're a note taker, I know some of you guys are like ready for the three points, and so here, here they are ahead of time, so you can be prepared. We've got three points. The first one is this, that Jesus changes everything, okay? The second one's going to be that Jesus changes our mindset, and the third is going to be that Jesus changes us. So that's our roadmap for this morning, where we're headed. And let's start with the beginning. Jesus changes everything. We're going to work through this passage this morning, but I'm going to go a little bit out of order, if you'll permit me. Instead of starting in verse 5, I'd love to start in verses 6 through 8. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul gives us basically just this plan, this, this order of steps that Jesus went through uh, to, to, to change the world, to redeem us, to save us. And he, he walks us through, and he starts basically with Jesus in heaven, Jesus reigning and ruling over the universe. And then he says Jesus comes down to earth, and he, he puts on the form of, of us. He becomes like a man. He, he gives up uh, his spot in heaven and comes down to earth. Uh, and he empties himself, it says. He takes on the form of a servant. He's born in our likeness, in a manger we, we remember, right? In verse 8, he's found in human form. He humbles himself. He becomes obedient, even to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And so we've got this progression that the Apostle Paul charts out for us. Jesus is in heaven. He gives up some of the things he has in heaven. He comes down to earth. And not only does he come down to earth, he puts on a human body. Not only does he put on a human body, but he lives as a servant, an obedient servant to God the Father. And then he goes to the cross on our behalf. And this is a totally mind-blowing thing. If, if you're a Christian in the room today, if you've been around church, uh, what I've just said isn't startling to you. It, doesn't, it didn't catch you off guard. You know all of this. You were here at Easter a couple of weeks ago. Like You understand who Jesus is and what he's done. But if we take a step back for a minute... Everything that Paul says in verses 6, 7, and 8 should absolutely blow our 
minds. Jesus takes everything we think should happen, everything that is due to him, and he turns it upside down, and he does it the total opposite ways. Look at this. Though he is God, Jesus is willing to become like us. This is a huge deal. Though he's like God, though he is God, not like God. We're going to get our theology straight this morning. Though he's God, he's willing to become like us. Think for a minute of what that means. Jesus is a part of the Trinity, sitting in heaven. He has everything he needs. He's, he's uh, adored by angels. He has perfect harmony and fellowship with God. He has no trouble at all. He's just, he's got it made. And he goes, you know what? I'll leave this and I'll go down there to them. Can, can you, we think for a second about how remarkable that is? Imagine what, what the perfection is for your life. Like, what is it for you that would be the pinnacle? Maybe it's sitting on a tropical beach uh, with, a, with an umbrella and some waiter bringing you whatever you want, and you're watching the waves crash in, and you don't have a place in the world, and your emails uh, crash, and you can never answer another email. Maybe that's paradise for you, right? Or maybe you're, you're not a beach person, you're more of a mountain person, and so your, your paradise is sitting in some mountain log cabin with a roaring fire, and there's snow in the valley down below, and you're curled up in a blanket by the fire with a book, and that's paradise for you. Whatever it is for you, imagine you're there, and then you just all of a sudden decide, you know what, I think I'm just going to go dig a ditch in the July heat instead, right? It's just, it doesn't make sense why you would leave there and come here, but that's what Jesus does. He does the exact opposite of what we would expect him to do. And he does it, and it should astonish us. And it goes even further. Even though Jesus is king, he takes the role of a servant. Jesus is the king. He deserves to be worshipped, ought to be worshipped, ought to be praised. And instead, he says, I'm going to come be a servant. He did it from the day he was born, being born in humble uh, manger uh, to, to humble family. He put on flesh. He walks among us. He serves everyone he encounters he heals the, the broken and the outcasts of the community around him. He, he pays attention to those that nobody has ever paid attention to. He lives a life of service, even though he should be the one who has servants following him around, uh, waiting on him. He does that for others. It is so blew the disciples away. You, you, the night Jesus um, has the, the Last Supper uh, before he's going to be arrested and crucified, and there are, all the disciples are sitting around the table, right? And, and, and nobody has, has made arrangements for, for feet to be washed. And that was a really big deal, and only the lowest of low people in that society could do that. And all these guys are sitting around with dirty feet getting ready to eat dinner. And the next thing you know, Jesus has got a towel wrapped around his waist and a wash uh, basin there, and he starts scrubbing their feet. And they're flabbergasted by this. They're totally blown away by it. And that's Jesus' posture for the king to come down and stoop so low that he would do that. It totally blows their mind. Have you ever encountered someone who has that kind of servant-hearted mentality? I remember when I was, uh, when I, my, for my undergrad school, I went to a, a, a school in California. Um, this is like the most famous person I've ever met, so this, I'll just, I'm going to use this one on my first time with you guys here this morning, right? Um, so I went to uh, the school uh, that was founded by a guy named Chuck Smith, which if you've seen the Jesus Revolution movie recently, he's, Kelsey Grammer plays him in that movie. And so my very first time in California, I show up at this church to go see his church, Chuck Smith's church, Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. And I, I'm walking there with my friend, William, the same one who yelled at me for having the map upside down. And so I'm walking across this giant parking lot, and we see this guy in a golf cart off in the distance. And he's got a bucket, and he's got one of those trash picker-uppers things. And he's just going around on the golf cart. Looks like an older gentleman going around on the golf cart, and he's picking up cigarette butts and trash all over the parking lot. And we're just, we don't think much of it. We see him kind of off in the distance doing that. We keep walking. And next thing you know, this golf cart whips in front of us. And this loud, booming voice says, hey, fellas. And who is it? It's Chuck Smith. 
the lead pastor of this giant church movement that has taken over the world and swept the nation, has planted like 1,200 churches or something like that in 30 years. And what's he doing? He's out picking up cigarette butts in his parking lot. And that made us go, oh my goodness. It was so impressive to see someone of such a high stature, someone who should be uh, sitting in in an ivory tower type of a deal. He's out there in the summer sun cleaning up trash in the parking lot. It, 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 It really set us back. And this picture of Jesus stepping down from heaven and then becoming a servant, it should have the same effect on us, but times a million. That he would leave heaven and come and serve us. But Paul keeps going. Even though Jesus rules the world, he chooses obedience. Jesus chose to obey the Father when he was here. Over and over and over again throughout his ministry, he says, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Or it's not time yet, he would tell his mother Mary uh, when she wanted him to, to display who he was. And over and over and over again, when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus choosing to obey the will of the Father, even though he's equal in every way, in power and authority and eternality, and he's fully God just as the Father is. He chooses to submit himself in humble obedience. Goes on even further, Paul says, though, though Jesus has lived forever and will live forever, Jesus chooses to die. Jesus comes to this earth with the central purpose of his mission was to die on a cross for our sins. That was the whole reason he, he came down in the first place, was to die on your behalf and mine. Someone who has no business being punished, no, has never done anything wrong, who never will do anything wrong, who's perfect in every way, he comes and what does he do? He takes our punishment upon himself on a cross. And so when Paul says this in verses 6 through 8, all that Jesus has done for us, I want to encourage us this morning, let's don't skip over that. Let's let that affect us. Let's let that impact us. Let's let that change us. Jesus does all of these things for you and for I. And so this is the story that Paul tells of Jesus, and we can summarize it if we wanted to in this way. That Jesus humbled himself, he served others, He lived obediently, and then he died. That's the story of Jesus' ministry on earth. He humbled himself, he served others, he lived obediently, and then he died. And so with that as kind of our foundation for verses 6 through 8, that's how Jesus changes everything. He does everything the opposite the way that we think he should. Then we can look at what Paul wants us to do in verse 5, which is change our mindset. Jesus changes our mindset. Paul says in verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Another way to say this is, hey, think like the way Jesus thought, you think that way. Or the way Jesus lived, you lived that way. Or the the approach that Jesus took to life, you take that approach. In other words, the plan, the roadmap that Jesus followed, Christians, you follow that roadmap too. Paul's saying this is the plan. This is the roadmap for us as Christians. This is how we're supposed to live. And so what kind of mindset? Humble, right? Humble ourselves is the call that Paul would make to us. And how do we do that? We think of ourselves less. The call is to humble ourselves. In light of what Jesus has done for us, is to humble ourselves. And this is tough. How do we think of ourselves less? We think of ourselves all the time. I don't know. If you're anything like me, I think about myself 24-7, right? Some of you out there are going, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty humble. Um, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. Well, I guarantee if I took a little po- group photo of you guys right now and I put it up on the screen, who's the first person you'd look for in that picture? Uh-huh. See? Caught you. Every one of you guys. We're all concerned with ourselves, aren't we? We're so wrapped up in ourselves, and that's all we think about. But in light of Jesus, if we're going to follow his path for life, we'll humble ourselves instead and think of ourselves less. The path calls for us to serve other people, to serve others, to ask the question, what can I do that will benefit someone else instead of what can I do that will benefit me? We're selfish people. We're selfish people. 
Again, some of you are out there thinking, I'm not selfish. And I promise you, you ask your spouse. You are selfish. They will tell you. Some of you guys don't have to ask your spouse. They'll just tell you anyways. We're selfish people. But the way of Jesus says, hey, instead of thinking about what can I get for me out of this situation, the question I'm going to ask is what can I do for someone else in this situation? How can I serve in this situation? Jesus lived obediently, and so the call for us is to live in obedience as well. This means living the life that God has called us to live, living uh, up to his standard, living, walking in holiness is another way to say this, following the will of God for our lives, which is one of obedience and holiness in our character and our conduct. And holiness is hard. Holiness is costly. And so we run from it. Uh, We don't want anything to do with it. We try to avoid it if if at all possible. When we look at Jesus and we go, Jesus, he's the only one who didn't have to pursue obedience to the Father. And he did it. And so how much more for us as his followers, as people who want to live like Jesus and be examples for Jesus in this world, we ought to also pursue holiness. And lastly, Jesus died. And he calls us to do the exact same thing, doesn't he? Jesus told his disciples, he said, if you'll be my disciples, I will encourage you to take up your cross daily and follow me. He says, in other words, this thing I'm doing, this path I'm walking, you've got to walk it too. And it may not be a literal cross that Jesus is asking you to step onto, although he very well may. But in general, he's asking all of us to die to ourselves, to put to death what is earthly in us, what we want, what we need, this, this, this pride, this arrogance, this selfishness. Put it to death and follow the path that Jesus laid out for us as well. As I said earlier, dying is a central purpose of Jesus' mission. He came to die, and he calls us to do the same. This way of thinking, this, this way of thinking about humility and service and obedience and dying to self is totally foreign to people who don't know Jesus, isn't it? It's totally foreign to the way the world works and the, the, the culture around us tells us to live. In fact, the world tells us to do the exact opposite in every situation, right? It doesn't tell us to be humble. It says, exalt yourself. Show everyone how great you are. In fact, we need you to make a TikTok so we can show how good your dance moves in. Nobody has good dance moves. I don't know why people are dancing on the internet, but that's the the theme right now in the whole world is dancing on the internet. Show yourself off. I'm not a good dancer. I can promise you I will not dance on the internet. So don't humble yourself, the world says. Exalt yourself. The world says, don't serve others. Get what's yours. Get what's coming to you. You deserve more. You ought to get better. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to receive. You, it's all about you. Get more. Don't serve others. Get what's coming to you. The world says, don't obey God. Do what you want. Whatever feels good must be right, and so just do what your heart tells you instead. Don't worry about obeying anything. That They're just trying to oppress you. Don't do that. That's the message of someone who doesn't know Jesus. The world says, don't die to self. Make sure yourself is at the center of everything, right? And so here as Christians, we're caught in this tension, aren't we? We've got a problem because we've got uh, the scriptures and we've got the Lord telling us, hey, this is the path. Follow Jesus. Humble yourself. Live as a servant. Live obediently. Die to yourself. We've got the world saying, don't do any of those things. And that gives us a choice to make as believers, right? Whose voice are we going to listen to? And the call Paul is making to us this morning through this text, he says, listen to the Lord. Follow what Jesus has to say. This is what makes Jesus altogether unique. It's what makes our faith unique. This is what validates our words when we tell people that Jesus changes lives, when we actually live a life that's changed. That makes people go, oh, okay, there is something to this Jesus thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The Apostle Paul says in another place, listen, I know this seems silly to people who are far from God, but to those of us who know Jesus, this is it. This is the stuff right here. This is what life is about, loving and following Jesus with our whole lives. 
And here's what's so neat about this, I think, is there's a deep and abiding joy that comes from following Jesus in this way. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like this is the path to joy. The world's going to tell us this isn't the path to joy. But I can assure you, this is the path to joy. Following Jesus the way he has called us to live is a path to joy. Hebrews chapter 12, talking about Jesus, starting in verse 1, says this, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Follow with me. Verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The Bible says that the joy, joy was the end point of Jesus' roadmap to life. He was, it was joy is all he could see ahead, and he endured the cross for you and for me. And I'm convinced that many people, Christians included, are looking for something out of life, and they can't quite get it. They can't quite find the joy and the peace and satisfaction that we're after, and the reason they can't get it is because they've got the map upside down. And they're listening to the world, tell them, do it this way, get yours, do what's best for you, put you at the centerpiece. And Jesus is going, no, humble yourself. Die to yourself, serve others, live in obedience, and then you will find joy. And that's the call for me, and that's the call for you, and that's the call for all of us as believers, is to make sure we've got this thing sorted out and we're getting it in the right order so that we can find the joy and peace and hope that the Lord promises us. We need, in many ways, many times, someone to come and flip the map over for us. This is what happened in my own story, if you'll indulge me for a little bit. This is how I came to faith in Jesus. I had a deep desire to be loved and to be cared about and to have friends uh, when I was in middle school and going into high school, and I could not seem to achieve that. I wasn't a cool person. I'm still not a cool person, but I do have friends now, so that's one good thing. That's, a, that's a one change. I'm growing. I'm still working on the cool. Um, but I wanted so deeply to fit in. I wanted so deeply to have, have friends that cared about me. And I met some folks uh, who, who at a beach trip over the summer uh, who, who welcomed me in. And they happened to be in God's providence going to my high school. And so I was like, man, I'm going to have friends. They, they invited me to stuff. They were nice to me, which was super weird. Uh, they, they, they didn't make fun of me. They, 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 they did what I wanted to do. They listened to what I had to say. I mean, it was incredible. And I couldn't figure out why. Because nobody had ever done that to me before. Nobody had ever treated me that way before. As I started spending time with them and hanging out with them, they invited me to their church, which wasn't a big deal because I grew up kind of around church. I knew uh, about Jesus, and so I was like, that's fine, I'll go to the church. And I remember one time sitting in church, hearing uh, the, the youth pastor talk about uh, the gospel and Jesus and his love for us and him dying on the cross. And then he said something that just kind of changed everything. He pointed out that Jesus invites everyone to come to him as they are, right? And it clicked for me in that moment. That's what they, my friends were doing to me. They were showing me the love of Jesus and the way they treated me and cared about me. They were doing the opposite of what everybody else in my school had done. They had flipped the map upside down, and for me, it made it all click, and I realized that Jesus wasn't just some intellectual thing you had to agree to, but he was someone that wanted your whole heart and your whole life, and I decided then to follow him with my life. They flipped the map upside down for me. And I hope you have a story like that, too, where you realize that the way up is, is, is down and the, and the way to, to glory is through service. And the way through to heaven is not by works or earning or your performance, but through Jesus and what he's done on the cross. And it's an incredible story. And, and Paul's reminding us here in Philippians chapter 2 of something that most believers already know. And if you don't, I'm glad you're here today so we can hear about it. But it's something that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. Because we forget, don't we? We have a tendency to listen to the message of the world and it change our way of thinking when it shouldn't. But Jesus changes our mindset. He said there's a different way to go about life. Which brings us to our last point this morning. We'll close with this idea is that Jesus changes us. 
Jesus changes us. He, he changes everything by, by coming down, dying on a cross for our sins, and then he changes our mindset by telling us, hey, this is the way you should approach life, and then he changes us as people. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me one more time. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of the Father. Paul says that after Jesus humbles himself, after he serves others, after he lives obediently and died, then what happens? He's exalted. That's when the glory comes. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus ascend to heaven after he rose from the dead. And now, even in this very moment, he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, bridging the gap between God and us because he is fully God and fully man. And he is our intermediary, giving us access to God that was not possible without his sacrificial death on the cross. And after that, he is exalted. The Bible says in verse 10, though, look at this. This is so cool. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. What's that mean? It means that every person who has ever lived and ever will live eventually will realize that Jesus is who he says he is. Everyone will come to realize this. They'll realize that he's the creator of the world, the sustainer of the universe, the perfect God who became man, that he died on a cross, rose three days later, and is now ruling and reigning from heaven. Everyone's going to come to grips with that at some point. It doesn't say some knees are going to bow or many tongues will confess. It says all. In the Bible, all means all all. And this is a promise. And here's what's so fascinating. Everything, when that, ha- when that day happens, everything gets flipped over again. All the things we think Jesus should get, he gets. Taking a knee, it says. We're going to take a knee and, and humble ourselves before like, like uh, peasants uh, kneeling before their king. What is that a symbol of? It's a symbol of humility. It's a symbol of service. It's a symbol of obedience. All of that stuff that is due Jesus, that he set aside for us, he will receive in that day. And it will happen for everybody. The only say we get in the matter is whether we do that voluntarily or not. That's the only choice we have is whether or not we'll bow to Jesus voluntarily. It's coming for everybody. The Bible teaches that those who recognize this now in this life, that Jesus is Lord, they confess them with their mouth, that they will be saved. The Bible says they'll spend eternity in God's kingdom, worshiping him in perfect fellowship with him. And it will be glorious and it will be amazing. And it's available to us as a free gift. The Bible also says that those who don't choose that in this life will be forced to do it in the next life, and they'll spend eternity separated from God in great pain and torment. And so before we go any further, before we talk about anything else this morning, and if you only hear one thing from me today, hear this. If you have not chosen to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord, please do that today. Please do that. Please make that choice. Don't put it off any longer. I can promise you any one of the pastors here will be so happy to talk to you about that decision. You grab one of them after church today, and they'll help you walk through that. But do that. Make that choice that I'm going to submit to Jesus now because he's worthy of it. Church, Jesus is Lord. He rules and reigns over the universe, and he's calling us to live for him, to follow his path to glory instead of the world's path to glory. And so the final question then is what? What do we do with all of this? How do we make sense of all this? What does this mean for us, right? And first, as we've said, if you haven't trusted Jesus, that's your first step. Trust Christ. Put your faith in him for salvation. But if you're here this morning and you're already a believer, you're going, that's me. I do believe Jesus is Lord. I do love Christ. I am trying to follow him as best, my, best I can. What do I, what do, I do next? What do I do with this, with this roadmap that Jesus has given us? I wonder if some of us, having gotten off the path of Jesus and slipped back into the path of the world in some way, 
Perhaps you've gotten your map turned upside down. Life's kind of jostled you a little bit, and so you got things uh, upside down, and uh, you're not finding the joy and peace and fulfillment that you're after, and perhaps it's because you're using the wrong map or you've got it upside down. When we were coming down, uh, again, with this trip has been an adventure, and so the day before we were set to uh, come here, the, the, so this is Thursday evening, uh, Taylor, my wife over here, she sends me a, a picture of the dashboard of our, our, our minivan with the check engine light on, <laughs> which is just what you want to see the day before a six-hour road trip. Uh, and so on Friday morning, um, the first opportunity, I was waiting for AutoZone to be open uh, because they have this really cool device at AutoZone, right? And they'll bring the device out to your car. This is a pro tip for you if you didn't know this. They will check the codes on your vehicle to find out what's wrong with it. And so the guy comes out and he brings it and he plugs it into the little receiver under the dash and it spits out a bunch of codes. It does uh, all sorts of crazy lights and all these numbers come up and he, he brings it inside and he plugs it into the computer and it, it basically is a diagnostic of what's wrong with our vehicle. I'm convinced it makes things up because AutoZone is in the business of selling car parts. And so there was like one section at the top which was like, this is what's really wrong. And there was like 17 other things. But here's some other stuff you could probably buy for us too. You should think about it, right? But at the top, it, it's, it's thankfully, this never happened. So this is God's kindness to us. Thankfully, not a big deal uh, for you mechanics out there. The evaporator valve, whatever that is, um, was, was, was failing, but hadn't failed yet. Texted my friend uh, who's in our life group, who's a mechanic. I texted him a picture of it. I was, like, I was like, should I go to Florida or not? He's like, you're good. I was like, okay, but Lord, we're still on. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so we run a little diagnostic check on, on the van before we came down here, and we're going to make it a little bit further. Pray we get home. But there's, there's some questions we can ask uh, that can kind of be a diagnostic, if you will, in our own hearts, in our own uh, walk with the Lord. If we're living the way he's called us to live, if we're responding to the gospel the way he's called us to. And so we've looked this morning, we've seen that Jesus calls us to humble service. And so the question you can ask to diagnose your heart are, are there areas in my life where I've been unwilling to be humble? Are there areas I've been unwilling to be humble? I've been unwilling to lower myself. If so, maybe today's the day that you say, you know what, I'm going to set aside my pride and I'm going to humble myself in this area. Are there ways that Jesus has called us to serve and we haven't served? So you can ask, where in my life do I need to take the posture of a servant? Jesus calls us to walk in obedience and so we can ask, are there areas in my life where I'm walking contrary to God's will and God's design for my life? And Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, and so we can ask, are there ways in which I can set aside my preferences for the sake of the kingdom of God? These are good questions to ask for the drive home or as you sit down to lunch or when you lay down uh, tonight when you go to bed or maybe in the morning when you meet with Jesus and ask him to reveal to you areas that he wants your life to look more like his life and we can become more conformed to his image. And then imagine, church, with me as we close, what might happen if the people of God went all in on the path of Jesus? What might happen if we went all in on this way of living? All the Christians that you know and all the churches in this area, what happens? How many marriages might be saved if we were willing to humble ourselves and not win every fight, Right? How, many, how, many, how, how much our community might change if believers decided to die to themselves and instead serve the people around them? How many people might we reach for Jesus if we were obedient to share Christ with them like the Lord calls us to? We could go on and on and on, and I'm convinced there's not a problem in the world that Christians couldn't solve by following the steps that Jesus has outlined for us here. So church, we serve an incredible Savior. We serve a Jesus who humbled himself for us, who came to the earth to serve and to serve us who was obedient to the Father for our sake and who died on the cross for our sins. And so let's go from this place looking for ways to honor our King by living the way he did for the world's good and for his glory. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the encouragement the Apostle Paul gives us. I thank you for the challenge that it gives us, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, starting with me, live the lives you called us to live, not to earn your love, but because we already have it in Christ Jesus. So help us to live in response to that. So go before us into this week. Help us to look for ways to humble ourselves, to serve others, to live in obedience, and to die to self. In Jesus' name, amen.